Last week, we talked about the fact that there are uh, a couple of problems we're dealing with. As we think about people who are coming behind us, that there's, there's no clear sense of identity in our culture today. There's a lot of confusion about what makes us who we are. There's a great deal of confusion about our personal identity, who we are, where we're going, what makes us who we are. There's also no compelling vision out there and so there's a, in this great sense of, of, of confusion, there's a vacuum of vision. Last week we considered what it takes, what it looks like to, to have a, a life worth, worth following. Today we're going to take a look at the kind of life that inspires us. Asking the question, who, who is your Paul? Or the people that inspire us, that are inspired, how do they inspire us? The people who are forerunners of the faith, how do they inspire us? Because we, we, each, we each deal with, even, even if we're not uh, in that coming of age stage of life, we're always becoming something. We're always uh, either making life up on our own or we're following some kind of model. Jesus was speaking into an age that had a couple of different options to make life make sense, to help us understand what our identity is. One, one way that people try to establish some kind of identity is a moral march, moral conformity, a moral march, right? It's just like you get in lockstep and we're with the group and the group is going that way and that's what we're thinking and usually it's often an emotional kind of thing. You've got some kind of a code. You're going to be on the right side of history, and we're going to get in step with, with the, that group, and, and that's going to make life make sense for us. A moral march, right? Moral march. And sometimes it's just a, a simply a, a matter of, especially today, a matter of activism. Whether it's left or right, political activism, usually some issue, one issue, and you've got to line up with that issue, and you've got to get with the group. You've got to get in step, man. And that will help you have a life worth following. That will help you have a life that's good. A good life is the moral march, right? Now, that, that's, that's one way. Jesus is speaking into a time that should sound very familiar to us. You know, you can, you can think about the problems that we have and, the, and, and what Scripture, and, and, you, and you realize there's nothing new under the sun. When you look at the cultural context into which Jesus is speaking, in this case, I'm going to read to you from the Sermon on the Mount. When you look at the cultural context, the context of the day, what was going on in the day, 
Very similar to what we're dealing with. So, so, so one of the ways that people try to make sense of their lives and where they're going and who they are and are they loved and what makes life make sense is the moral march to get lined up with the right side of history and the right issue. The other way that, that people try to make life make sense or give themselves a, a sense of identity and purpose and where they're going, their direction in life, is it's called expressive individualism. It's the idea that, that I'm supposed to realize my best self, you know, find my best self, the best version of me. I look within. I don't look outside what's going on and what's trending. I, I look within and I, you know, if, if there's some sense of feeling that I have, my strongest emotion, right, I find that, that sense of purpose and identity in what is most authentically me and that's how I feel. I said it like that on purpose because I'm slightly mocking. How do I feel about life and myself and God, the universe, and everything? Well, that's, that's my guiding star. And so then I pile onto that a list of abilities or, or maybe some kind of special talent, and, and then I, I kind of actualize myself. A guy named Abraham Maslow talked about once you get done with 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 uh, dealing with the fact that you need to breathe and you need to drink water and you need to eat and you need to have, you know, sort of some basic security in your life, then you can, you can kind of deal with who you really are, your authentic self, and you can actualize your best life, right? Your best version of you. And so you're either in some kind of moral march or you're sort of trying to figure life out from within. Jesus is speaking into this same kind of fuzzy identity that we deal with today. Confusion without a compelling vision. You know, I think I've just answered the question why someone would do what they did last Sunday. I know it's on your minds. I'm glad you showed up. It makes people nervous. You know, you, you know, sometimes the things that we learn about what's going on across the country, we, we don't really know what to do with it. And what are we supposed to do with that information? We, we know too much about what's going on in all these little communities around, around the world and, and across the, the country. And I know that it's, it's on your minds. What would possess somebody to do something like that? Well, if, if, if you realize that the moral march is, is a vacuum, or if you look around and you see people who are really not, they're, they're not in lockstep, they're not real, this isn't really heartfelt, they're just sort of going through the motions of the moral march, And if, if life has handed you, you know, a, a hand that you think you can't, even, you can't even play, what do you have? You have despair. Jesus is speaking into these, these vacuums of options of what makes life make sense. Who am I? Is life valuable? Where am I going? And what, what, Jesus, what Jesus is saying in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in the passage I'm going to read from Matthew 5, 14 through 17, is that we are unworthy, but not worthless. It is an aha moment that brings life 
to a dry valley. It brings life to dead lives. Jesus didn't so much come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. You see, he's putting it in those starker terms because he's trying to get our attention here. You think of what happened last weekend in that little church in Texas, and you ask yourself the question, why would somebody do something like that? How low do they have to be? What, what, what happened in their life or what's going on around them? I, I think of this, this uh, story about a, a nursing school and, and in the nursing school they, they have exams and, and on the final exam at the end of the semester, uh, the, the, there, was a, there was a question that they didn't expect and it, and it said uh, on the bottom of the test, it, it, it said, what is the name of the woman who cleans the building, this building. What's the name of the woman who cleans this building? Well, some people went up to her afterwards and to, to, the, to the professor and said, you know, is this a real question? Yeah, it's a real question. You're going to meet people throughout your career and, and every one of them, and every time you walk into a hospital room, you know, whether you know that person or whether someone's paying attention to them or young or old or how sick they are, they matter. Their life is valuable. They are unworthy, and sometimes you're going to feel that. They're unworthy, but not worthless. So there's a connection to the gospel Without using religious language, without quoting scripture, there's a real connection to the gospel of what Jesus is bringing before us. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 14. He says to his followers, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let me stop right there. He says it in a particular way, on purpose. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Imagine a city on a hill. Can it be hidden? No, it's on a hill. You can't hide it. He's comparing his followers to a city on a hill. You cannot be hidden. If you make the connection that you are unworthy but not worthless, you can't hide that light. He goes on, he says. Nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. Hey, would you turn on that, would you turn on that light over there? And then would you put a bucket over the top of it? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. He's, being, he's joking. It's a joke, people. I mean, he's using imagery to, to kind of shock your mind and say, what, what's going on here? When you make the connection to the power of the gospel, we're unworthy. We're not entitled to anything. But as unworthy people, we're not worthless. Jesus is speaking life by being with us, by, by making his presence known, by teaching us, by telling us it's not too late. That connection, we're unworthy but not worthless, is the light switch that gets turned on. He goes on. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, here's the charge, let your light 
so shine or let your light shine before others in such a way that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is heaven. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. He's not come to abolish morality. He's bringing fulfillment to the moral march. He's not saying that you shouldn't make any kind of personal connection to it. He's bringing fulfillment to your lives. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, bless this word now, not only to our our minds to understand it, but to our hearts that we may embrace it fully and well, and to our lives that we may walk it out in the presence of others. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does it mean to shine before others that they may glorify? You see, that's the connection that we all need to make, and we need to make it again and again, and every day that you wake up, I am unworthy, but I am not worthless. That's the connection that Jesus is making. When you make that connection, you're making a connection to power, and you will shine. Shine before others. Shine before others in such a way that they may glorify God, that their life in turn will shine. Whether they are upset about something and your name is Marilyn and you're just beautiful. It's a gorgeous child. I mean, when that child cries, she's still beautiful. So that's where we're going. I'm going to do something different this morning. I'm going to read to you a letter that I wrote to my mentors. It's a composite. These are real people in my life and my mind as I was writing. And I'm writing to people who have shined. Their life has shined in such a way that that the people around them, their life is lit up. And they, in turn, embrace unworthy, but not worthless. And I hope that at the end of this letter, you'll see how you can shine before others in such a way that they may glorify. Dear, my dear friend, I'm writing to thank you. First, I want to thank you for living a life that shines. Now, that sounds a little corny. But here's what I mean. Your faith shows without you having to put on a show. So I'm not talking about some effort to behave. Your story is bigger than behavior. Behavior is just the cart, but you're riding a living, breathing horse. Somewhere along the way, you made an important connection. It's like when you replace a light bulb and the switch is already on, and there's that moment when you're turning it and you, and you all of a sudden... It's just let there be light. And there was light. I had the sense that you were singing your own verse of amazing grace. You were saying, if grace can get a hold of someone like me, then it can reach the world. That's the shine. If grace can change me, then grace can change 
the world. I saw that connection in your life. John Newton, who wrote the verses of Amazing Grace, the original ones, he could not cheerfully call himself a wretch, nor could Paul call himself the chief of sinners without something having connected with them at the core. I am unworthy, but not worthless. Someone said, Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people live. And I didn't see you ever trying to be good. I saw you coming alive. Whether you decided to be a doctor or a bus driver when you were young, the same connection would have shined through your life. It makes me think of that story about John Coltrane, a great jazz artist who at one point in his career played the melody of A Love Supreme. And he played it in such a way that he just poured out his life into it. And at the end of it, his band and, and the whole front row heard him say, Nunc Dimnitus, which is the Latin for, Now let your servant depart in peace. It's what Simeon said when the Christ child was presenting, presented before him in the temple. He realized that his whole life's purpose had come to fruition, that he had made a powerful connection, not only with, with the grace of God at the core of him, but he had found the ultimate moment, the outlet of his life, creating beauty, shining for others to see. It's like Irenaeus said about 1,800 years ago, the glory of God is a person fully alive. So first and foremost, my friend, thank you for being fully alive. Thanks for shining. Second, I want to thank you for shining out in the open before other people. I mean, you could have just taken this precious treasure, this gift, and maybe buried it somewhere and kept it privately to yourself, but that's not really how it works, is it? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, when you shined, you didn't shine to be seen, but you shined to light other people up. You met other people's needs for their sake, not yours. You weren't meeting needs because you needed to be needed. You just met needs to meet needs. Imagine that. That motive, that motive beyond you, it shined. It shined right through everything you did. I didn't get the sense that you were driven by some unfinished business from your past. It wasn't guilt motivating you. The motive was to bring light to other people. It makes me think of a film I just saw called, saw called The Same Kind of Different as Me. Ron, the lead figure of the story, serves in a food kitchen, community kitchen, to make up for his past. And at first, he's just serving plates. But soon he changes. And he stops serving plates. And he starts serving people. Perhaps it was that insight he gained from a homeless man who became his friend. That was the very insight, to move from serving place to serving people when 
when he said this. He said, what are you doing when you're, you're, you're giving somebody a plate of food, he asked him. And Ron says, helping? No, the man named Denver, he says, you're not, sir, you're not helping them. You're just saying this. You're saying, I see you. I see you. Ron was learning to serve people and not plates. And not to be seen doing good deeds, but to see people as he does them. You know, it's funny, later on in, in this passage, Jesus gives a warning. He says, shine before others. But then later he says, almost in the same breath, he says, don't practice your righteousness out in the open to be seen. Now that might seem confusing if I hadn't already seen in your life how to do it. You served people to see them. You didn't serve plates to be seen. And see, that's just what a friend does. A writer I love says that friendship is like art. It's there for its own sake, not for some other reason. Art is just there for its own sake. Once people know true friendship, I think they can tell a little better when people around them are just being friendly and not a friend. Sometimes they're friendly for selfish reasons, but again, when someone is a true friend, it's there like art for its own sake. Too bad we are usually too embarrassed to speak about what some people mean to us until after they're gone. It takes a certain strength and selflessness. So don't be embarrassed by what I'm writing to you now. Recently, uh, another good friend of mine did just that. A group of us got together who had known each other for 25 years. There are six of us and our families. And we were gathered together in his house in Nashville. And before lunch, and before he prayed for the meal, he read a kind of poetic liturgy acknowledging his gratitude for all of us. He got choked up when he read these particular words I'm going to write to you now. May this, our feast, fall like a great hammer blow against the gloom, reawakening our hearts, stirring our imaginations, focusing our vision not on the kingdom of heaven that is to come, on the kingdom that is promised, but on the kingdom that is already indeed among us for the resurrection of all good things has already joyfully begun. He was thanking his friends for shining before him as you have done before me. Thank you for shining out in the open for other people. And finally, I want to thank you for shining before others in such a way you call them upward to help them find their chief end, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You shined in such a way that you called people upward. It's like when Eric Little, the Olympic champion, said, God made me with a purpose, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. The way you shine was as if you were looking upward at something amazing. And as a result, everyone around you started looking up too looking for what you were seeing. What's he seeing? You know, my friend, I've, I've been seeing 
The same result around here at the church where I'm serving. So many people at our church have been inspired and are inspiring as forerunners of the faith. That they've been plugging in around here in powerful and shiny ways. Just in the last few weeks, I've seen the following. I've seen two couples carefully filling up 150 tiny little cups for communion and cleaning up afterwards. Few people know they do this. I've heard a financial report, but it occurred to me that the speaker was keeping up with accounting lines the way some people only aspire to do in their own homes. I've seen people show up at the church to assist when something in one of our six buildings goes boing. I've watched a man climbing the stairs in his 40th year teaching the same children's Sunday school class. I've had someone drop what she was doing to accompany me to a nursing home and to play piano for a broken-hearted spouse. A group of people getting together each week to listen with discernment as strangers tell their difficult stories and ask us for assistance. Others serving, serving communion to members too frail to leave their home who light up when we show up. So many times, tables suddenly appear in our fellowship hall, decked out with flowers for a reception after a funeral service. Earlier this fall, we asked people to bring medications, which uh, Cubans have no access to, and 400 pounds of it showed up at the church in a matter of weeks. Each Wednesday night, I marvel at the couple dozen adults who that evening spend their time away from their families with kids who belong to other families. I witness genuine welcome of newcomers who also call my office then the next morning just so that I know who showed up that day before. I've seen the warmest hellos to someone showing up here for the very first time and, and then again the next day someone calls me and lets me know they've been here. I've read letters written with loving diplomacy to a mission partner in need of additional support. I've watched a couple climbing a steep curve determined to make the world's next world mission conference even better. I've seen drawings of buildings under renovation which obviously took long hours and days to prepare. Hundreds gathered to celebrate staff members' departures, prayer requests and needs carefully conveyed to care groups. Listening ears and faces turned towards forgotten. Forgotten people. I've seen chainsaws and rakes flying, cutting a path through a stranger's backyard, and on many occasions I've rushed to the hospital only to discover with amazement somebody else had beaten me there. In other words, I've seen people called up because they had someone like you in their lives calling them, expecting great things, someone running ahead of them, living with the hope that if amazing grace can change them, then it can change the world. Because these people shine before others to glorify, 
even at their shiniest moments where they were doing their very best and with great passion, they pointed beyond themselves. And like you, their lives shine by pointing beyond themselves, giving glory to God, saying. And before I read this last part, let me invite the band up. Would you all come on up? Like you, their lives shine by pointing beyond themselves, giving glory to God, saying, crown him the Lord of years, the potentate of time, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. Thy praise and glory shall not fail through all eternity. Would you, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, how we thank you for shining on us. Would you reach us in a special way in these closing moments that we may shine for you? In Jesus' name.